0: Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher, Sarah Perry. Hi folks, this is Sarah Perry and welcome back to Haven Space. Today we are going to be discussing the fetish of feederism. Feederism is a fetish that is comparable and related to the fetish of fat worship, but it is not all fat worshiping and it has to do specifically with the um, arousal of feeding somebody, the act of feeding, the ritual of feeding them. By the end of this podcast, you should know What the fetish entails, you should know a little bit of history about it, how to find it, how to um, care for people doing this fetish, as in what their aftercare rituals look like, and how to go about making this happen for you with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are worthy and capable of. So where does this kind of fetish start off? What historically do we know about it? Well, nowadays, this fetish is um, a little bit different because of the um, amount of online presence that people are able to have and the pockets of fetish communities that find groups where they can actually have conversations and kind of evolve and grow in their fetish practices. So we know that... The ritual of eating, being fed, of kind of gorging has roots in Renaissance periods because entire societies were starving and wealthy people feasted and enjoyed these huge meals together and then most of the time ended up in gigantic orgies because sex was not seen as something unacceptable. In fact, the kind of draw to bodily pleasure was a huge part of the Renaissance period. Nowadays, we get access via the internet to all kinds of people that are posting videos and that are showing themselves in ways that are much more private because we get this access into their life. And they are able to share these experiences with other people who then can become in this very voyeuristic way, people that still get to engage, still get to be a part of it, but at much, much lower cost and without the stigma that comes with doing this type of thing publicly. So in psychology circles, this is of course considered a paraphilia I call fetishes, but, um, or just any kind of abnormal quote unquote sexual attraction. Um, it is a blend of different fetishes, like basically any other fetish that we have discussed. It has to do with morphophilia, which is, um, the fetish for specific body parts. It also has to do with sadomasochism, just the power dynamics. We're going to discuss how they interact with each other so that you can kind of get an idea for um, the specific power dynamic relationships inside of feeding, feedy, feeder relationships. Um, We also have elements of gainer fetishes, which are fetishes where you are trying to achieve something to gain weight, to gain muscle, to gain size. Of course, This type of fetish carries with it a ton of societal taboo. Fat phobia is a huge thing, specifically in this country, and it is sold under the umbrella of being healthy or not healthy, and when you look this up online, there is a huge amount of... like propaganda that is happening. They're zooming in on the unhealthy foods. They're um, showing like the disgust. But remember that we have talked about how disgust and arousal are happening in very similar places in our brain. In fact, some of them happen in the same place. And these areas of arousal that trigger your activation, all kinds of arousal, definitely carry with them this sexual arousal also. So it makes sense that while we're watching this, they're triggering these disgusting images to kind of create a reaction. Well, that reaction can easily become something that becomes sexually attractive. So like I said, notice this when you spend time looking at this online yourself, if you're interested, that they're being portrayed as incredibly unhealthy. However, There are entire communities such as bodybuilding communities where gaining weight and eating copious amounts of food and pushing one's limits are considered completely acceptable and in fact the epitome of health and are similarly not healthy and are in fact creating these messages for our entire society that say that you can gain weight if the if the weight gain is being done in this extremely controlled methodical way, as opposed to in this very lustful, gluttonous, enjoyable way. Let's remember that our society prizes self-control and self-control in the forms of removing and limiting access to pleasure. And this is a great example of that. The way we shame people for accessing uh, pleasure in forms of Food and delectable delicacies because simply because they're actually just enjoying it too much and it comes across as inappropriate. It's also important to note that. This idea of feederism, feeding someone, is not always happening during sex. The fetish is actually the idea of feeding someone. But let's think about what this ritual looks like. Let's think about the process of choosing food, selecting food, going to get it, then cooking, all the while with the image in your head of what's going to happen. Some of the interviews that I was looking into actually said that Part of the attraction is the idea that you will cause someone to grow. These are these gainer fetishes we were talking. So when people are choosing and selecting these items to consume, they're already in their mind planning forward to what the end result will be. Again, this parallel between bodybuilding and and this very meticulous planning for configuring what your body will look like, but actually working in the opposite direction. And honestly, not really in the opposite direction. There's plenty of people who are um, literally measuring their body to see how much they've grown from month in to month out, different workouts. So these are just different kinds of growth. Um, Another important component would be the idea of sploshing, so creating a mess with food can be connected. Um, a lot of the interviews discussed stuffing and bloating, These, this kind of overconsumption, creating uh, bloating and gas and these things that we find disgusting actually translating into these symbols of something that's very arousing, finding it especially arousing to lose some control over this overconsumption. Um, But if we think about it, the eroticism of eating, um, eye contact, holding eye contact with someone who is putting something against your lips, your tongue, um, the caretaking aspect of it all of these things, ritualistically, are things that we indulge in already. They're parts of our bodies. If you're feeding someone with your hands, your fingers, your fingertips, the connection between fingers and mouths, it's something that's already highly eroticized and is a huge part of everybody's sexual experience. So again, here we have the the link to taking control. The idea that someone is taking care of you and therefore you are accepting them Feeding you and nourishing you. There's also a connection between um, feederism and megaphilia. We have that podcast that I've referred to in the past where we talk about people wanting things to be gigantic, to be stepped on, maybe even eaten by a giant sized person. Well, there's definitely a relationship here. You can be watching these YouTube videos and fantasizing about this person being even bigger than they are and consuming you in certain ways. But really, what an incredible mental picture to have the submission of a small body and the fragility of a small body and how that fragility feels like the most erotic of vulnerabilities. There is also an element of release of control from societal expectations. And this is a thread that came up over and over in these interviews where people said, You know, I grew up a certain way. They used to tell me that my body had to look a certain way to be beautiful. And then I met this person, which you know, in parentheses, is also a testament to the fact that relationships can be healing and you don't have to, quote, love yourself before you can love someone else, unquote. Um, the idea that we are able to be healed of our own traumas through our especially healing relationships, if you're open to it and the person is the type of person that can help you heal also. Think about... um The release of that control of the idea that you were always supposed to look a certain way to be um, loved, to be sexy, to be attractive, but really to have value, any kind of value. We have grown up believing that we owe Um, the world something in exchange for our worth and our respect. And this is a huge way that people can take back control from that and thrive, literally enjoy and make money and, and find emotional joy from absolutely letting themselves go, releasing that and enjoying and embracing the pleasure that comes with eating and overeating. So if we're considering some of these people, there are incredibly successful online feeders who literally just have channels who are um, videoing themselves eating all kinds of food, reaching certain measurement guidelines, and they're kind of measuring themselves on camera and then eating the food and enjoying the food and testing themselves to see how much they can eat. Now, whether for shock factor alone or because people are sexually aroused, they have huge followings. They are creating an entire industry on this type of fetishism. And the video, one of the videos that I was watching on YouTube had 850,000 views and it was just a video of someone interviewing a feeder and feedy couple. This couple eating and kind of like touching, and also having a conversation about what they do um, professionally. There are also um, a lot of links in these conversations to emotions that link fullness with happiness, with satisfaction. Um, I don't have to tell you that all of these things take place in infancy because most of an infant's first um, comforts come from eating, from drinking mother's milk, in any time a child needs comfort of any kind, as an infant, it is met with kind of oral fixations of any kind, most of the time eating, but sometimes in the form of pacifiers. If you consider, okay, well, we've grown up and literally these things are linked in my mind, full equals happy. Well, it makes perfect sense that someone then enjoys this sexually to be full, to be fed and that whole process. Food is the universal love language. Food is warm and fuzzy. Now the feedies have different attractions and this this fetish only works if both people are completely into these different roles. The feeder is the one who enjoys taking care of somebody, feeding them, who enjoys encouraging them to grow their body, and similarly also enjoys all of the things that come along with a fat body, rolls and rolls and rolls, new rolls in different places, the idea of the sensation of fat under your hands, the way that fat holds temperature at a different way. It feels colder to the touch. It is kind of more comfy, more mushy, more amazing to to feel sensation. Wise, um, they also have the attraction to not only being a caretaker, but of the encouragement, the um, kind of coercion into continuing to grow. Having that type of power regained is an enjoyable part for that person. Now, the feedie, the person who receives has a different fetish really, even inside of the same thing, because what they want is to be taken care of, is to be kind of slowly coerced into continuing to grow their body. They like to be loved and worshiped and taken care of in that way. So yeah, these are the same fetish, but there's two very different approaches to what it is that some turns somebody on. And in order to really enjoy this fetish, you kind of need both parts of this. And of course, there is the added element of the fact that someone who is very, very large, uh, morbidly obese, possibly having trouble walking around, also gets a large amount of attention. And it makes sense that someone could be attracted to receiving that attention the same way that someone would pick a specific outfit or dye their hair a certain color. These ways that we ask for attention, we are showing our peacock feathers, so to speak. Um, Remember, we had discussed the book about the handicap principle and how we literally show um, that we are fertile and that we are surviving and thriving and that you should choose us to reproduce with by showing off things that actually make us less likely to survive. Um, This is... Prime example, peacock feathers, of course. Peacocks have shiny, colorful, beautiful feathers, and that makes them less likely to survive simply because there are easier targets and because it is harder for them to get away because they're so big and it's harder for them to fly. But that itself is what makes it attractive. The fact that even with this handicap, you are able to survive, obviously you are very, very strong. So think about that when we um, find attractions to things like morbid morbid obesity, where you would literally be less likely to survive, your rates of all kinds of diseases would be higher, but it's considered attractive simply because you have not died. You are still living and surviving and thriving. So it's always interesting to consider how these kind of um, animalistic traits shape the way we find attraction without us even knowing. But what about the psychology of it? What, what do psychologists say who are pathologizing this type of fetish? Um, in fact, what I found was not terrible. So Dr. Chris Craft from John Hopkins um, talked a lot about the relationship of worship and power play from the um, feeder as a caretaker especially to the idea of making someone grow. So narcissistically realizing that you're in control of someone's size by continuing to feed them and continuing to feed them. Some pretty extreme forms of feederism even end in the end goal for the person who is growing, the feedee, to become immobile, to literally become bedridden. And some of these interviews say, well, the concept of being bedridden is attractive because of the lack of responsibility that you then have over your own life, the ability to relinquish all control to a partner, then equals you having less responsibility, less stress over the things that you have to accomplish. And this is actually kind of a common theme in very um, extreme dominant submissive relationships, where a dominant partner then makes life choices for the person. We saw it in the Fin episode and in other kinds. A BDSM where it actually provides a huge amount of relief for the submissive person to no longer have to be um, the person that makes decisions or establishes these types of behaviors. So, where can you find this? Um, An easy term to look for is SSBBW, which stands for um, the supersized big beautiful woman. There is also alternatively SSBBM which is for men, Um, ironically, while this fetish is seen a lot in the same amounts in the queer communities than in cishet communities, um, it still doesn't have a lot of representation in queer communities. So much so that literally the only terms that are available are woman or man. So what about anybody who doesn't fit into those categories? I don't know. So if this is something that you enjoy, maybe you can be the first. Um, or at least the most famous one, cause I guarantee someone out there is doing this. Um, another idea is to simply go on to FetLife and other fetish communities. Um, or even just looking at this in porn videos, Pornhub, which has recently become more controversial, but they do have a BBW kind of entire category, um tube safari could be a good one they actually are a bunch of videos that people upload so you're not looking at like professional content but more like stuff that people created a lot of times finding these people directly through instagram or through fetlife and literally paying them directly is the best way to find porn that is realistic that is um moral and that actually is making sure that the actors are getting paid for their content. So I would always suggest that if you can do it. If you want to do this yourself, um, feel free to have a conversation with your doctor. It is super important to have a doctor that knows what you're doing in your life. Don't lie to your doctor about shit. They can tell because it's all over your blood and it's all over everything you show up with and all of your questions. They're already expecting to be lied to so you might as well actually find a doctor that you can talk to if this is a goal for you if growing your body is a goal for you having a conversation about how you can do it in the healthiest way possible is life-changing i mean it literally could save your life and there are plenty of people who have very very big bodies and are still healthy and strong and thriving so make sure that you have the right support to make that happen Um, And of course, how to prepare, you know, have conversations about your limits with your partners and have flexibility about what those limits look like for you. If you intend to use food and feeding in the bedroom actively during sex, or is it a ritual that you don't necessarily want to lead to sex? Expectation negotiations are a huge part of fetish communities. Also recognize that aftercare rituals where maybe after you've eaten and you feel full um, or after you've fed someone and they feel full and they're done eating, you establish some type of ritual for what coming down feels like. Does it feel like hugging, kissing? Sometimes it feels like bathing. These kind of ritualistic ways that we take care of people and come back to center are very important in ritual fetishes. So to recap, today we talked about feederism, the fetish of um, that is kind of a combination between morphophilia, sadomasochism, and gainer fetishes. Um, we talked about the propaganda surrounding this in our fatphobic communities. We talked about um, noticing the rituals always of feeding and how feeding can be arousing, simply because fingers and lips and mouths are, in general, pretty arousing. We talked about um, different kinds of eroticism. We talked about the link to separating oneself from societal expectations while at the same time finding healing from our own traumas. We talked about potential for money and all of the reasons that feeling full and satisfied are related to feelings of well-being. We talked about where you can find it, how to do it, how to prepare, how to do it safely. And this concludes our chapter. Thanks for tuning in and I'll check you out next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.